Genesis chapter 28. We're going to look at Jacob's ladder. Isaac and his family, they're sort of in a feud like the Hatfields and McCoys. You got Isaac and the Esau versus Rebekah and Jacob. Esau, a selfish, profane man, has had his birthright stolen from him by Jacob in his mind, the birthright that he despised. But some of the strongest language in the Bible is reserved for Esau. And we read things like Esau despised his birthright. Esau comforts himself by plotting the murder of Jacob. And even in Hebrews we read that God hated Esau. And these are very, very strong words. And God himself has determined that the birthright blessing will not be Esau's, but that his Messiah to come would come through Jacob, the lineage of Jacob and not Esau. And God's will prevails. It prevailed in Isaac's family and it prevails in our lives as believers. The Greek philosophers had their many gods, and uh, they had a saying that men roll the dice, but the outcome belongs to the gods. And how true that is, only it belongs to the living God. Isaac has discovered firsthand the power and the sovereignty of God. And when Isaac realizes he has blessed Jacob, the younger son, his reaction is to tremble exceedingly. And we hear Isaac say to Esau, when Esau comes in for the blessing, he says, Jacob indeed shall be blessed. And you can almost hear Isaac saying, and I couldn't prevent it. <laughs> So let's look at Genesis chapter 28. We'll read the first nine verses, and then we'll move on from there. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that he, as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And Jacob obeyed his father and his mother, and he had gone to Padan Aram. 
And Esau saw that the daughters of Cana did not please his father Isaac. So Isaac went out to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he already had. In verses 1 through 5, we have there, Isaac is now trembling, and I think he's trembling out of the fear and awesome power of God. He has realized that all his plans to bless Esau have failed, and now Isaac aligns himself with God, and he's more than willing now to bless Jacob, and he does so. Isaac's blessing of Jacob is similar to the blessing that God gave to Abraham. And Isaac is in agreement with Rebekah to send Jacob away to Laban, her brother, to find a wife. Verses 6 through 9, Esau has a reaction to Jacob going away to his mother's family. Esau knows all too well that his wives have made Rebecca his mother to quote her weary of life. Can't family disputes and disagreements make you weary? They sure can. And that's another strong statement by the way. Isaac describes Jake uh, desires that Jacob find a wife from Rebecca's family. And Esau, knowing the trouble that his current wives, the daughters of Heth, he knows the problems they have presented to mom and dad. So what does Esau do? He goes to Uncle Ishmael. Oh, my goodness. And he goes to Ishmael's territory, and he takes Mahalath, Ishmael's daughter, for a wife. Now, we can only assume the impact that this has upon Rebekah and Isaac. It's like Esau is purposefully inconsiderate. Uh, and no wonder that he finds God's disfavor for his life, because it seems like every move he makes is, is a bad move. But what will this new wife the daughter of Ishmael, Mahaleth. What would she be like as a daughter-in-law to Rebekah and Isaac? Now remember, there is bad blood between Isaac and Ishmael. So bad that uh, Abraham had to send Ishmael away. We can only speculate. But let's pick up verse 20 through, uh, 10 through 22 here. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in the place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to the heavens, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. 
Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and south, and in you and on your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. We have mild-mannered Jacob, and he's off to Haran, and he travels alone by himself, not in a caravan. The typical way to travel in those days was to uh, travel in a caravan. That way you had uh, more safety in the numbers and so forth. But Haran is 500 miles north of Beersheba, where Jacob lives. Traveling alone, especially in those days, was an invitation to trouble. There were a lot of wild beasts, a lot of desolate areas, and wild beasts would roam these areas. And Jacob, remember, he's the mild-mannered one. He's not Esau. He's not a hunter. He's not an outdoorsman. And Jacob probably had money with him, which would make him a target for thieves, and the money has little value, though, out in the wilderness. Probably carried an ample supply of uh, food and provisions. But it's going to take Jacob several weeks to travel that 500 miles. And Jacob, he's traveling alone. Probably either on a camel, maybe a donkey. And he's lonesome. And he is afraid. But very early in this journey, God comforts Jacob with a heavenly dream. Jacob dreams of a ladder. A stairway, actually. You might call it a huge escalator. <laughs> and it reaches from the earth up into the heavens. Now you've got to get an idea that this is the only time this word is used, and they translate it ladder. But it's an enormous stairway because there are millions now of angels going up and down this stairway from earth into heaven. Millions, because there are millions of angels. Jacob's ladder is like a boulevard roadway type thing, just like when we talk about Moses and parting of the Red Sea and uh, you watch TV in the Ten Commandments and it shows these narrow two walls of water 
Do you realize that there were over two and a half million Israelites that are leaving Egypt? That opening of the Red Sea had to be two miles wide. We think of a narrow little gap. It had to be over two miles wide for them all to pass through in the time frame that they passed through. Two miles of Israelites walking through on dry land. And this ladder or the stairway of Jacob's dream is enormous. Don't think of it as a, you know, a little narrow ladder that you climb on a roof with or something. Um, I was at the mall one time with my grandchildren and I had the privilege of taking my granddaughter on her first escalator ride. That was exciting. <laughs> she didn't want to step out on the thing. Oh, no, that thing's moving. <laughs> but once I got her out on the escalator, I couldn't get her off of it. But that was all right. It beat shopping, so we rode the escalator. You know what I mean? So it was, it was a good time. But God is giving Jacob here, he's giving him a vivid picture of the spiritual realm. Angels are ascending and descending. And God speaks to Jacob. And he says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And I give you this land and many descendants. And your seed, your offspring, your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed in them. And of course, this is the promise of Messiah. Messiah coming through the lineage of of Jacob, not Esau. Tremendous promises given to Jacob by God himself. That's a great promise, and I'm sure it uh, caused Jacob to reflect upon it. But in verse 15, I think we have the promise that comforts Jacob. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you. Wherever you go, and I, God, will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. What a great thing. That applies to each of us also. God's word is true and faithful to us, and we can count on it. God has led Jacob to Bethel. And now he gives him this dream of this huge ladder, this stairway. And Bethel happened to be a place where Abraham had previously built an altar. In fact, the pillar or for a pillow that Jacob used might have come from one of Abraham's altars. Jacob will give this place its name and he calls it Bethel. And all Bethel means is house of God. Bethel, the gate to heaven. And this Bethel becomes a memorial place for Jacob throughout his life. But eventually, in years to come, Bethel will become a high place of idol worship and it will be torn down and destroyed. But anyway, and we have God here, though, making himself known to Jacob in a personal way. The same place that Abraham built an altar is also where Isaac, Jacob's father, had worshipped in his better days, in his happier days. 
And this dream that Jacob has is the first recorded appearance of God to Jacob. Jacob is being brought into a personal relationship with God. It's no more dad and Jacob. It's Jacob. And in this dream, we have angels, messengers of God, and they're bridging the gap between earth and heaven, and they're ascending and descending. And there are innumerable angels, millions. Scripture indicates that as believers, that we have a guardian angel. I like to take comfort in that. Sometimes I think I'm in my younger days, I made my angel work overtime, but hey, that's all right. And there are now, consider this, millions upon millions of believers here on earth. And if each of us has a guardian angel, that makes the number of angels in the millions, to say the least. And angels were in existence before God created man in the heavens and the earth. And angels created male beings have no ability to reproduce with angels. They're only male angels. So God created all these angels before he created man. And he created millions of them. And so this stairway that leads from earth to heaven had to be enormous and with nothing but angels flowing up and down it. So when God created angels, he created a whole bunch of them, okay? Angels have different responsibilities and duties. They are God's agents for him dealing with mankind. In this dream of Jacob, this wide stairway reaching into the heavens was more like a boulevard than a ladder. To give us an indication of the number of angels, in 2 Kings chapter 6, Israel is at war with Syria. Elisha, the prophet, is the prophet of the day. His servant is greatly troubled when they go up on the city wall and they look out from the city wall and they see the army of the Syrians. And all this army of the Syrians surround them. And the servant declares to Elijah, Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Let me read the couple verses to you. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. And when the servant of the man of God, Elisha, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain 
was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God opened the eyes of this servants and give them a glimpse of what was out there on his behalf. The servant's eyes are open and he sees the true picture. More of us, more of them for us than for the enemy. Jacob, he's fleeing Beersheba. Beersheba has been Jacob's home for 75 years. And God comforts Jacob with the dream of the host of heavens. The host of heaven that is there to watch over and protect him. These angels, these messengers of God, they're there to accomplish God's will in Jacob's life. God is showing Jacob that the resources of heaven are on your side, Jacob. They're for you. That should bring us comfort. Because when I look around at today's world, and you look at it too, you can get depressed just watching the evening news. And as we see this world, as it appears to grow worser and worser, as it seems to get more bad all the time, it is good to know that there are more for us than for the enemy. So I pray that God would open my eyes and your eyes like Elisha's servant where we can also see the host of heaven that is for us. And we need to see that sometimes. Because we can get discouraged as we look at things and they become what appears to be more violent. And there's wars and rumors of wars and terrorist acts and all these things it's good to know that God is still in control and that he outnumbers the enemy in the gospel of John chapter 1 I want you to turn there Jesus is calling his 12 disciples to himself there is one calling that is in of Nathaniel that has a lot of intrigue to it so, John chapter 1, we'll look at verses 43 through 51. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom, in whom rather is no deceit or no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under a fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In verse 45, Philip, he takes credit for finding Jesus. But in verse 43, Jesus says he found Philip. So I'm going with Jesus. Sorry, Philip. And anyway, Philip and the other disciples, along with Nathaniel, they have been looking for Messiah. A lot of looking and a lot of finding. And Philip, first he finds Jesus, and then he finds Nathaniel. There is an anticipation in Israel at this time, a sense of urgency. For these Jewish men, they're looking in, for their Messiah because they sense the time is right for Messiah to come on the scene. They want to find that one that Moses wrote about and the prophets wrote about. The future disciples of Jesus, they have been reading, they have been studying God's word, the Old Testament scriptures, and now they say, hey, it's got to be near. We're near that time for Messiah to come. And they understand that the time is ripe for Messiah to appear. The disciples understood the day that they lived in. Do we understand the day that we live in? I hope we do. Are we looking for Messiah to return? The, Messiah, uh, the disciples were looking for Messiah to come on the scene. Hopefully we're looking for his return. Philip, he finds Nathaniel. And he brings Nathanael to Jesus. What a great verse. That's the most we can do, by the way. Bring our friends to Jesus. Bring our acquaintances to Jesus. And Nathanael proclaims, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> that sounds like the way we would talk. <laughs> Nazareth... It was about, oh, I don't know, 40, 50 miles north of Jerusalem. It was on the northern border of Samaria. And every good Jew felt obligated to feel contempt and bias against Samaritans. And the bias and the hatred that flowed between Jews and Samaritans, well, it's legendary. So we have this very biased statement coming from Nathaniel. Philip answers him and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, hey, come and see. And Jesus, upon seeing Nathaniel, he declares, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no, and I like the old King James on this, guile, no guile. No pretentiousness, no deceit. What you saw in Nathaniel is what you got. 
he was a man up front with his emotions and he was up front with his words. I have had people say of me, if I have not offended you, hang around, I will offend you soon. And that's good and bad. I don't want to offend you, but if God's words offend you, I make no apologies for it. Let them sit where they will. Nathaniel, he asks Jesus, how do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you under a fig tree. <laughs> now, Jesus being fully God and fully man all at the same time, sees a man, and he sees Nathaniel, and Nathaniel is either in prayer, in meditation, or perhaps he's even studying the scriptures, and he is under a fig tree, and Jesus has seen him. In that clarity there, when Nathaniel realizes, I am speaking to God. Who else could see me under a fig tree and who else could know my thoughts? For Nathaniel has been in worship under that fig tree and his worship has not gone unnoticed by God. And if God notices one man under a shade of a fig tree that is in worship, he notices us. He notices when we take time to have our daily devotions. He notices when we bother to pray over a friend in need. He notices any good act that we do. Our God has his eye upon us, like the psalm that we read to open up. We are the apple of his eye. And if God noticed Nathaniel under a fig tree, then he notices us because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He notices his people and what they are doing. We're told many times how God hears our prayers. We're reassured constantly in Scripture that God hears our prayers, and if he hears us, we have what we ask for. It's also comforting to know that God sees us in our times of devotion and worship, just like he saw Nathaniel. Nathaniel, when Jesus tells him, I saw you under a fig tree, he says, Rabbi, teacher. And that's kind of profound. But now we get into the real true revelation of Nathaniel, and he says, you are, speaking to Jesus, the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And that's all sparked in Nathaniel's life because he said, Jesus said, I saw you under a fig tree. Jesus then declares to Nathaniel, you will see greater things than these, Nathaniel. And don't miss this, because I, I just really love this part of the, uh, the passage. We have Jesus now telling to us 
the very scripture that Nathaniel was studying, if you read it carefully. Nathaniel, he has been meditating upon the ascending and descending angels. He's been uh, meditating upon probably this passage that we read about Jacob's ladder. Jacob and Nathaniel have God opened up their understanding. God gives these two men a vision of heavenly things. Verse 51, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, we know enough about our God to know that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That is so good. God does not hide from us. He does not remove himself from us because we believe, but rather he reveals himself to us because we believe. Jacob is given a heavenly dream. Jacob is given the big picture when he's alone and afraid. Right after he has been so sinful. Right after he got caught in the deceit of his father and he's told to leave, leave the family, go, go to Haran. So take comfort in knowing that our service to God is never unnoticed. It's always noticed. Our prayers are always heard. And as we study God's word, God is faithful to give us understanding and revelation just like he did to Nathaniel. When Nathaniel first met Jesus, he declares, you are the son of God. And that was all brought about because Jesus said, I saw you under a fig tree. And you were looking at the passage of angels ascending and descending. So how about this morning? Here we are, small group of believers right here in a church worshiping God. So I can tell you without hesitation God sees our worship here. He is pleased with our worship here because we are his people. And that gives me enough to go on for several weeks. Just knowing that I'm here worshiping, proclaiming the living God, that Jesus is the Son of God. And he is my God and he is your God. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, I would pray that you would be so kind as to open our understanding. Reveal to us yourself. Reveal to us the spiritual realm. And reveal to us, Lord, that when we get uh, perhaps anxious or a little concerned about the way this world is going, that you will show us 
that there is more for us than against us and that we are safely in your hands and that you will bring about what you have for us and nothing can stop it. Let us rejoice in you, our Savior and our Lord. And let us not ever be shy about proclaiming you to this world who does not know you, Lord. We count it a privilege to be called Christians, believers. And let that show in our lives, Lord. And again, we just thank you for being for us. Thank you for being God. And thank you for calling us to yourself. And we pray and ask all things in Jesus' name. Amen.